for links to the audio and video versions of the Industrial Software Podcast, as well as a newsletter sign-up, you can always head to manufacturesoft.com. You can also reach out by email to contact at manufacturesoft.com. Thanks, and let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Industrial Software Podcast. I have with me today James Meads from procurementsoftware.site. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure to be on and uh, really intrigued by what we're going to talk about today. So looking forward to it. My background is in working in manufacturing businesses, so this should be fun. Very cool. So yeah, if you want to give our audience just a quick primer on what procurementsoftware.site is. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, so procurementsoftware.site is essentially a website that is a, a directory of different procurement tech companies. What I found was that there was really... Uh, really missing out there on the market was just a simple functionality website to be able to go on and break down the different types of procurement SaaS that are out there based on a number of different criteria that the that the searcher uh, could be looking for and the searcher typically being a head of procurement or perhaps even a CFO or a boutique consultancy in certain instances. Yep. And I think you also do kind of work with procurement startups some as well as procurement teams directly do you want to kind of explain a little bit how you work with those those two sides of the table right yeah so the business model essentially in terms of any consulting work that i do is on the one side um on the one hand i help heads of procurement or perhaps you know cfos or ceos in smaller businesses to search and find the right procurement software that reflects the needs and wishes of their organization um, and then on the other hand, I work with procurement tech startups to, to help them with their product and positioning uh, and content marketing to help them resonate with the audience that they're, that they're trying to, to attract as, as potential buyers. So, um, yeah, I, wor- I work on both sides of the aisle, but tendency is more towards working more with the startups now and building that out. In terms of just getting going, I thought like to paint the picture, it would be a good start maybe for myself as well as our audience, to pick a hypothetical of, I'm at a company, I need to buy something. Like, let's say I got to buy wood, you know, like a material. Um, Why don't you just walk us through what that entails? Like, let's start off who at the company is doing this. And I'm guessing it's it's different based on different types of companies and company size. But in this hypothetical, like, who who tends to be doing this? Well, let's say like a small company and a medium-sized company and a big company, you know? Right. Okay. So in a in a small company, then it will typically be whoever's buying the wood will typically be either the the operations manager or whoever's responsible for for production planning. You know, I mean, that, and if that's a sawmill, it can be something very very simple. Whereas, you know, if it's um, if it's a, a big industrial scale furniture manufacturing company, then it's obviously going to be a lot more complex and you know in any organization that's sort of a medium size and upwards i'm t- i mean i'm using very rough numbers here but if a business is doing you know 20 25 million dollars in revenue and above they're probably going to have someone in some way shape or form that's doing the buying that is not just doing it as a as a side part of their job so it's it's not going to be the guy that runs the factory or that or that or that ships the end product so if there is a procurement team or department even if it's just one person as a as a buyer what usually happens is that 
the department that is responsible for or that has the budget for buying the wood essentially hands over that money and that responsibility to uh, to the buyer to be able to then go out and source, negotiate, contract in certain instances, depending on the complexity with with a wood supplier or a you know lumberjack firm or you know, depending on the complexity and the grade of wood that they're buying i guess i've never bought wood but um <laughs> and and they so the so the procurement professional is essentially the commercial expert that understands sourcing contracts commercial terms usually the 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 basic market tendencies of the commodity or the product that they're buying and the internal stakeholder that's using or consuming the wood is essentially the person that has the budget and in most cases will be able to tell you the specifications, the quantities, the qualities, the delivery terms that they want, um, you know, the call-offs, um, anything around operations, production planning, uh, that type of thing. So in a very, very simple term, operations or engineering define what they want and procurement goes out and secures it and goes out and buys it and selects the vendor. So my guess is that the like multi-decade trend in this has been it in the in the outset it's phone calls, handshakes, relationships and it's increasingly trending towards company to company, computer system to computer system purchasing. Am I correct with that? overarching assessment it, that that's right and maybe and maybe the example of wood was a bad example because you know that's typically in a, in a lot of cases going to be quite old school traditional industries but in any more in more complex manufacturing let's take i don't know automotive or consumer goods or something like that then then yeah you're going to have a business is going to be running some sort of enterprise resourcing planning erp system you know once they're above a certain size you know, even if they're only a tiny company, they're going to have some sort of finance and accounting system that somehow has to match, you know, what's been ordered and what's been received against what's been invoiced to make sure that otherwise, you know, in theory, any Tom, Dick or Harry could send an invoice to the company and, and then call up accounts and say, why haven't you paid me? So there has to be some sort of control and process to ensure that that doesn't happen. And that in its most basic form is, you know, the fraud, the fraud protection mechanisms that most companies have in place. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the software that these folks would be using. One particular thing that I was interested in is I know that a lot of pieces of software highlight uh, supplier discovery. How often are you the one going out and manually finding where you can source your materials versus how often does the software make it make it apparent? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, there is, there is software out there on the market now um, that does exactly that. We we would call it supplier scouting software because it's not it's not classic sourcing software in the sense that you want the software to actually go out and do a bit of it. It essentially works. It scrapes the internet, right? So it it scrapes the internet. So if if in I don't know how it works in the U.S., but in in Europe, in most countries, we have you know national or, or regional provincial company regist registers. So it can it can do things like scrape all of the registered companies in a certain country or state. Uh, it can also it can also search website directories. It can search things like members of chambers of commerce and that type of thing. So depending on what you're looking for, uh, it can then you know spit out a short list of X number of potential suppliers for a given commodity. 
uh, or product. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't do any sort of due diligence or background checks or anything like that on the company. You know, in its most basic form, it might be able to check that the company is valid and registered. And if they have a website, it will be able to find that. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do any sort of doesn't do any quality checks. It doesn't it doesn't check if they've got you know any any legislation or any legal actions uh, against them. So it does the basic upstream part of finding vendors. If you're searching for a product or service where you as the buyer literally have no clue who to buy it from, or or maybe you do have one or two suppliers, but you want to go out and market test and you don't know who their competitors are then it's a great tool for doing the upstream part of that. But it, it in no way does it replace a human in terms of being able to do the end-to-end buying process. Okay. So if a human does want to do that, <clears throat> how do they typically approach doing that? Do they, it's got to be a lot of just legwork and like manually. It, it is. And that's, and that's why the software, the, the software solutions are, as such a great driver of value in terms of taking out a lot of the grunt work. So they will never replace a procurement professional in their entirety. But, you know, if you've got a procurement professional that's earning a hundred K a year and they're spending a lot of time, you know, on Google or in traditional supplier directories, you know, like online versions of the yellow pages back in the day, um, that's not a good use of a knowledge worker's time. So the real, value proposition of these software solutions isn't isn't to replace a, a person a full-time employee it's it's really to make their life simpler so as you know a lot of the legwork can be saved and that particular person can spend more time doing value-added activities rather than rather than something that you know you can teach a robot to do in this case you mentioned supplier directories just as a learning experience it would be really helpful to like dig through them myself do you have like a like a suggestion of oh yeah go look at x or y or z supplier directory like what i would look for to find that well just like what we're doing on procurement software.site you know if you take that broad if you take that more broadly into the complete SaaS ecosystem then companies like captera or um or getapp or software finder um are a, are a directory of a broad directory of apps and software as a service and you've got similar types of directories, somewhat more low tech uh, for things like purchase parts and commodities and components. And, um, you know, you've got industrial manufacturing directories um, based on based on location or based on industry industry sector that um, that do a similar job that, that would have maybe 30, 40 years ago been been a catalog that are, that are now online directories. The, the problem with those is they often rely on the companies themselves to to update their their data so you know if you've got a directory of say 10,000 companies that that make furniture or that make castings and forgings if those companies that are registered in there are not actively getting leads from that directory then it doesn't take a genius to figure out that they're probably not going to spend too much time updating their profile um and and the result of that, you know, I've I've used them, you know, here in Europe, you know, maybe in the US they're a bit more reliable, but oftentimes, you know, the email addresses bounce, the phone numbers are out of date, they don't make what they say they make because 
the data in there is probably 10 years old from when they first registered on the site and it's never been updated. So they are of very occasionally you'll find a diamond in the rough there and you'll find a really good supplier from these directories but often the data in them is just absolute garbage because it's not kept up to date all of these inefficiencies and inaccuracies and things like that really sound like opportunities i mean because it's extraordinary value that you can create if you can create a directory like this that doesn't have these holes punched in it and so my guess is this is the ultimate um, master plan of about 5,000 startups in the space. You know, their their thinking is, well, we'll start here, we'll start, we'll start small, and then eventually our company will be the end-all, be-all single source of truth for true information for what's available. Um, first off, is that true? And second, do there seem to be emerging winners who could capture this? and actually make this not opaque. Yeah, that's so that there are two sort of front runners that are in this space that are essentially playing to be you know a single source of truth that that pushes supplier vendor master data to different procurement systems that they that they integrate with. Uh, there's a Canadian company called Tealbook and a German company called Scout B that are very much playing in this space and they are you know direct competitors with with what they're trying to do for all sense and purposes they're offering a a very similar product albeit with a different slant and and quite different marketing so yeah absolutely i mean the goal is that they want to be essentially a single global supplier database that can push that data into you know something like an sap or you know whatever you might be using as a as an ERP system to to ensure that you as the buyer or as the finance department don't have to update that supplier data manually or, or rely on, on the suppliers to do it, which is, which is great if you just need basic data to be able to validate that the supplier is located where they say they're located and that they uh, that their company registration number is up to date and, and that they've you know filed their accounts and everything like that what it what it doesn't do is provide any you know more detailed quality or environmental certification so you know if you're a food manufacturer for example you need to get details around their food hygiene certification or uh, if you're an automotive manuf if if you're an automotive um uh, if you're an OEM in the automotive industry you need to make sure that your T1 tier 1 suppliers uh, have things like ISO 14001, which is, you know, inv basic environmental standards that pretty much every major OEM demands from its supply base. So they don't do that, you know, because they can't be all things to all people. So it really depends what you want to get from it. You know, if it's making sure that your basic data that you're maintaining on your suppliers is correct to be able to pay them and to be able to contact them in, ter in, in, in times of a black swan event like COVID, for example, then hundred percent but if you're relying on it on it as a single source of truth um for all of your raw material suppliers going into a finished product that require additional quality or environmental certifications then it definitely won't do that and you you will need something more specialist to do that so let's take teal book as a hard example of you know an entrant in the space that's really catching on 
do they is there is the end game of something like that to like as you said plug into sap and so users would not directly be using its ui or is its end goal to subvert sap and become the new sap and people like live inside of tealbook yeah i i don't think it will ever take over what an erp system does because something like erp something like sap doesn't just cover purchasing and operations planning and and finance it covers it covers everything right you know yeah. it's a it's a whole you know enterprise resource planning system what what i do think it will what it will do and what it is doing essentially i mean from uh, you know i i have i've met tealbook ceo personally actually so you know i know a bit more about them than than maybe some others they they do integrate with some of the big um source to pay suites or platforms out there so as you know when when anyone when any company implements any type of procurement tech one of the biggest challenges is that especially larger organizations is that their data is garbage because sales data historically has always been pretty well maintained in an organization you know every company knows what they sell very very few companies truly understand what they buy um and there are a lot of reasons for that you know ownership of data you know the fact that companies generally tend to have more suppliers than, than they do customers unless they're a b2c e-commerce company there are a number of reasons why purchasing or procurement data has traditionally been quite messy but but yes that is what something like a teal book uh is doing at the moment it does integrate with um with some of these large source to pay platforms i'm just thinking i think they already integrate with ivaluer and jagger i'm not sure if they integrate with cooper and ariba which are the two biggest ones i'd have to check that but yeah they've definitely got some some, some partnerships with some of the big ones with the very intention that it solves a big it, it solves a big pushback or a big bottleneck of of you know implementing this software or or getting successful results from it if uh, like if you put garbage in you get garbage out and and something like a teal book then claims to to solve that you know whether whether it does or not in reality i you know, I couldn't say, but that's certainly what they're selling as the USP. And, and in theory, it should do. I'm a little bit curious about like the suite solutions. Do most companies have one of these up and running and have had it for decades and all of that? Or is even that still kind of like a new frontier? Like a lot of companies have a haphazard solution for this and haven't implemented an overarching suite solution. So... It's definitely not a new solution. It's definitely pretty old hat in terms of technology, but I would say that it's not been widely adopted below sort of Fortune 500 companies. Um, we're still we're still on the upward trajectory of the bell curve in terms of you know even getting basic source to pay or procure to pay technology, uh, you know which doesn't really touch manufacturing that's more it's more a procurement and accounting type of problem that that solves although it does indirectly impact manufacturing that you know if you if you've not got good data from good technology then suppliers don't get paid on time because bank details are incorrect lead times are wrong payment terms are incorrect which all can then impact on production you know a lot of the re a lot of the time what where the procurement spends running around fixing operational issues is usually at its core down to the fact that the data in the system is rubbish um but yeah to go back to your question no it's not it's not widely adopted beyond fortune 500 companies the next frontier actually is 
the mid-market and a lot of these legacy suites in my personal opinion are not really fit for function in that market because they are quite complex they're not very user-friendly they're built on a pretty old tech stack you know especially some of the earliest ones like sap ariba probably being the best example that you know their tech essentially stems from the late 1990s yes it's been updated but you know it's a very old platform that it that it that it's that it came from so where i see the opportunity now is really you know if you're a mid-sized business and that's you know you can define that how you will and it depends on the size of the market but let's just say you know if you're a 200 300 million dollar business and you want to implement some basic procurement technology in the in the source to pay or procure to pay space there are a plethora of options right now and a lot of them now especially the best of breed and the newer ones are focused on app first technology and really focusing on the ux both for the end user and also for the supplier because typically procurement has adopted it and in some cases grudgingly used it even if the ux is a bit is a bit crappy but often you know if you've got a stakeholder if you've got a maintenance engineer coming out of the production plant covered in oil and they need to order something they're not going to log on to sap and figure out you know which which magic commander they have to give so as sap just doesn't scratch its head and 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 say no they just want to they just want an amazon like experience that they can go on somewhere and buy something and um and the newer best of breed technology solves that beyond you know just the old hat solution of having punch out catalogs which which does have a place in that but not everything can be purchased through a punch out catalog you know if you've got a a one off piece of equipment or a service that you need to buy you know you can't go into an mro or an office stationary catalog and 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 just go in and buy that so um yeah very long answer to a quick question but no the technology isn't still isn't widely adopted although you do wonder why when you know the 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 payback and the roi is so obvious in terms of all of the grunt work and operational problems that it fixes real quick um let's define best of breed and mro for our audience who might not know so best of breed is something i've heard reference quite a bit but how would you sum that up yeah so best of breed versus a suite so a suite would typically be a piece of procurement technology that would try and solve you know the end-to-end requirements of what procurement does so it would have it would have a sourcing module it would have a per, uh, it would have a purchase to pay module it would have a a contract repository module of some description it might even have some basic spend analytics functionality whereas a best of breed is something that typically focuses on solving one problem particularly well so for example having an all singing all dancing best of breed e-sourcing platform that that just does that you know it might do a little bit of supplier onboarding and it might have somewhere where you can store contracts but fundamentally it's a sourcing tool that does things like reverse auctions and um uh, and sort of smart or electro- electronic RFQs, RFPs, RFIs, request for quotation, request for pro- proposal, request for information, um, as a as a best of breed tool, rather than just doing it as part of an end to end suite. The advantage being the suites do a lot of things, but don't do any of them particularly best in class. And and nowadays with with technology like APIs and and having very open, uh, you know, having very open integratable software as a service rather than something that sits on a server 
when everything's cloud-based and can be connected to one another, you know, if you're thinking more simple SaaS, you know, through something like Zapier, then it just makes it a lot easier to get those systems to speak to one another. Um, MRO uh, is maintenance, repair and overhaul, which is essentially any sort of, you know, indirect, you know, non-production spend that goes through a factory to support factory operations, but doesn't go directly into uh, into the manufactured product. So things like spare parts, oil and lubricants, PPE, um, yeah, that type of thing. Okay, cool. This being, I mean, w when you think of procurement, what is procurement? It's anytime any company buys anything. So it's like a huge part of all of the... <laughs> money that travels in the world <laughs> and for for the kind of like landscape assessment to be that well everyone below fortune 500 kind of is just doing whatever they're doing it it's it's this unfathomable green field unfathomable amounts of value just sitting waiting to be captured that said yeah. i can see why from the outside in it seems like procure tech is super hot like just popping super hot Tons of VC dollars, venture capital dollars flooding into it. Um, a zillion, you know, you like your website is a testament to how many solutions are popping up. You probably can't even keep keep it straight. And it's your domain expertise. Um, yeah. Is that assessment correct? <laughs> is that assessment correct that and especially post COVID, it's got to be just bonkers right now. It, it is in the sense that it's a lot more bonkers than it was five years ago. But then. If you look at a, at a solutions map for ProcureTech and then you look at a, a, at a solutions map for FinTech or MarTech, it's like night and day. We're just getting started. So, yeah, I mean, the market is becoming increasingly more noisy and it is difficult to keep on top of everything that's going on there. I like to think I've got a pretty good hold of what's going on in Europe. But, you know, if I... Uh, if I if I went to the states and tried to get hold of their procure tech ecosystem, especially the early stage startups, you know the bigger ones you tend to hear of, but you know the pre seed startups, I've probably not even scratched the surface on the website because you know I'm not as connected to that ecosystem, not not being based over there, but it is still very greenfield, and I think the below Fortune 500 companies, they, there are companies that have very mature procurement functions, but for the most part, they're still managing procurement through ERP, SharePoint, email, and Excel. And when you think that in most companies, especially in manufacturing companies, circa 60% of a company's revenue um, is spent on goods and services from external vendors, would you want to manage that in spreadsheets and in, a, and in an ERP system that looks and feels like it was designed in the 1990s? I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To what extent are the solutions that are emerging in this space, I would say, quote unquote, platformized? Like, you know, Salesforce being a really good example, like you said, the maturity in other spaces is just night and day. You know, like if you're a new entrant in sales tech, you wouldn't build an, yourself as an island completely isolated from everything else. You would immediately start thinking, how can I plug into Salesforce? or you know any of the other kind of like CRM pieces of software out there. What solutions are there out there right now that are platformized at least to an extent where you know a smaller scrappier startup can build itself as a barnacle on a whale? 
Yeah, and it, and it is happening. And Salesforce is a great example because we are seeing the Salesforceization uh, a little bit in procurement tech. With it started off with the two biggest procurement uh, source to pay, source to contract suites, which are Cooper and SAP Ariba. You know, they're the, they're the two that have the biggest market share, and they are now starting to go down that platform model and you know i think that's really being it's been an acknowledgement that they can't do everything that procurement teams are demanding now in that software uh, and it's and it's also a recognition perhaps indirectly that their software is you know starting to age in terms of the tech stack that it's been built on and there's only a certain amount that they can do to you know to rectify that and and stay relevant so yes, the, the the sort of platform concept is growing. I think the question, the key question, or the key thing that we will observe is, will they continue to be the platforms that companies tend to tend to use or grow out from, or will it be one of these, you know, vendor master data, single source of truth type of platforms like a like a Tealbook or a Scoutby or a Hicks, or could it even be something completely different? There's a there's a, albeit in a much smaller startup called Pair Angusta, French company, uh, and they've gone very much down this sort of partners and alliances route right from the very offset of making their software easy to plug and play with with other solutions. So as you can, I mean, Pair Angusta is a procurement performance management software. So essentially, it's a it's a project management platform that that pulls in other areas of the business uh, to work on projects that that impact cost or value in some way you know be it pure play cost down opportunities or things like you know energy savings or or tco within manufacturing and they've brought a lot of other procurement tech solutions into that ecosystem and made made it compatible so they they work with a spend analytics platform they work with an e-sourcing tool um uh, and so on and so forth so i do think that the platform approach will be the future and and you know, one of the most eminent influencers in this space, a lady called Dr. Eloise Epstein from Kearney, very much you know is a pro- is a proponent of that uh, of that philosophy or that hypothesis. So you know I do think that is probably the way that we're going to go. But but who will be the winners and and who will emerge? I think is still very much up for debate. And you know certainly Cooper and SAP have got the budgets to do it but will they keep up in will, will they keep up in terms of you know does their software provide the base added value of what it does over and above some of the more nimble and agile players out there which could essentially then you know be their downfall no <laughs> that's my belief like at some point i just have to like assert my you know beliefs no yeah. <laughs> the startups <laughs> move so dang fast and right. the old dogs you know, like we've seen, here's here's part of like my like theses in a lot of the industrial stuff that I've seen is like, it's a story I've seen play out before because I worked in tech startups and I kind of like saw how a lot of this shakes out. And it's like, on the one hand, like the established players, you know, have all of the chips, they have all of the advantages, but on the other hand, they don't have the speed. And I feel like a little... um hubris in my opinions on some of this because i've seen this play out so clearly before and 
someone like Tealbook who speaks this language of just rapidly moving and you know all this kind of stuff it's it's just gonna win it's i just have to believe that i don't know if that's like goes against the grain of i i don't know if people agree do people agree with that like is that a hubris take or is that like just a realistic take well i think there's i think you're right and i think if you if you cast your mind back you know in 2011 2012 cooper was cutting edge tech you know they were they were they were the new kid on the block they were the guys that were that were looking to take down Ariba and you know they succeeded to a large extent in terms of you know taking a lot of market shares up from them but now they're a they're a publicly listed company and they're a very corporate entity and they're they're seen now if not one of the dinosaurs they're certainly one of the stalwarts you know and they're not as innovative as they were and they've become bloated as they've grown the question is will Tealbook become that you know they're they're nimble they're nimble and agile and hiring like crazy now or any of these you know that are at the same yeah. you know i think Tealbook series b maybe series c i'd have to check um yeah. will 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 they all go down the same face and will this always be like the circle of life in terms of you know there'll always be a new startup on the block that challenges them i think that's if you're someone like a Tealbook or in that at that level of funding that's scaling rapidly and growing and acquiring new customers really rapidly at what point do you build up so much bureaucracy that you no longer become an agile, nimble startup that can do that? And, you know, I don't think they're there yet, but, you know, they're certainly in danger of, of becoming that because it's something that it's something that hits every company at a certain point in time. You know, when they, when, when they grow, so there, there are very few companies that have, that have managed to, to resist that. You know, if you look at perhaps Amazon and Apple being the great, you know, Google perhaps as well, that, you know, as they've grown into being these big corporate monoliths, you know, yes, they've got certain things that they're very bloated on, like legal, but they're still able to to innovate and have these labs within these huge corporations. I mean, that's that's gonna that's always gonna be the challenge. Yeah, I think like my opinion on how how to know exactly what's gonna happen is look at AWS and how that conquered so much and how much resistance there was to it, like. In industrial conversations, I come across all these people who, you know, have all the hesitations that people had about AWS and eventually AWS just won. And so I think it's a really good blueprint for how those conversations will go over time once. I mean, like I've heard it repeated so often, but like if you were going to use AWS as servers for your company, at one point people thought you were a little weird and crazy. And now if you don't use <laughs> AWS as servers, they think you're crazy. So it's like... You know, that story is going to play out. But yeah, the story yeah. repeats. I mean, now AWS is slow and, you know, you have smaller, you have DigitalOcean and Cloudflare and things like that cropping up and I wouldn't bet against Cloudflare. So, um, yeah, it's, it's this whole circle, isn't it? Which ones managed to, which ones managed to scale to the point and still maintain a degree of innovate. And maybe I've been a bit unfair on Coop. I certainly think they're more innovative than, than SAP. Yeah, but, and that's the thing. Oracle um, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're they're a juggernaut, uh, and yeah. that won't change. And, and the other the other danger is, you know, once companies have a certain amount of money, they, they then have the ability to go and buy up startups and just kill them if they see them as being a threat. And, you know, Cooper is now staying on that example, actively investing in early stage procurement and supply chain tech startups. And, you know, the, the optimist in me hopes that it's to enable them to become 
more innovative as a as a larger entity but the but the pessimist or the cynic in me says that maybe they're just doing it to kill them because then you know they don't have to be as nimble um acknowledging the fact that they are this big corporate monolith now yeah so let's talk a little bit about so real quick you did mention dr eloise epstein from kearney and i neglected to mention that you do have a podcast and just to tell our listeners go listen to that episode of the podcast um with James and Dr. Eloise Epstein, because that was so informative. So just as an aside to our audience to say, go listen to that. It was great. I learned a lot. You'll learn a lot. Um, but on that note, during the podcast, you talked about how bigger players who haven't gotten to, into procurement have become acquisitive. So Microsoft and Workday, you called out, had made acquisitions in the space. What have some notable acquisitions been, first off? And then like, um, what are those acquisitions changing in the space? Yeah, so Microsoft apply, uh, acquired a spend analytics company called Supplari, um, which were coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, also based in, in Seattle uh, in 2021. Um, Workday acquired a company called Scout RFP, where, which, is an, which was an e-sourcing platform, um, also based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, McKinsey acquired a spend analytics platform called Orpheus. Um, and then there have been some smaller acquisitions of more of more generic software companies that have been expanding into, into ProcureTech. Uh, there was a UK company, Advanced, that bought an Australian company called uh, Port recently that was in the sort of spend analytics or, and source to contract space. Um, Esca, who's a big French source to pay suite, acquired a company called Market Dojo, which is a best of breed e-sourcing, e-auction platform um, based in the UK. So the acquisition, um, the acquisition market is really hotting up, um, but we're not just seeing it through, you know, big tech buying up procure tech startups. We're seeing it in, you know, more generic software companies um gobbling up procurement tech and also you know some of the more established procurement tech providers uh, acquiring smaller competitors or not competitors but smaller companies that can add something to their platform a great example of that was a really a really well established german source to pay provider called onventis uh, acquired a small swedish spend analytics platform called uh, Sp um called spendency because they had they had a pretty good solid piece of software, but the 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 spend analysis or spend um, analytics offering that Onventis had was pretty much non-existent, and a lot of their customers evidently were were asking for that, and they didn't you know really want to leave cash on the table by just having to you know refer them to a third party and maybe take a small commission from that. So it's happening all over and i think it will we will continue to see more consolidation and then more entrants will continue to come into the space and like all things you know the good ones will will survive and float and get funding and the ones that that don't have their their product and and sales um and development and funding licked will will end up you know going the way of the dodo it's uh it's it's like all areas of technology i guess i mean i'm not I'm not. I don't have a tech bank background. I'm a procurement guy, but you see it in pretty much, in in pretty much every vertical in the tech space. All right. So I just want to talk quick about suppliers and with this landscape. And like you said, you know, 
very quickly suppliers will not find it to be worth their time to update things in some database where <laughs> it's someone else's single source of truth and nobody's using it and things like that. Um, are there any solutions for suppliers that are emerging where, you know, maybe they put, they update things in one place and it propagates out to a lot of other places? Like I saw this, like, for example, I saw this happen in music a lot where indie bands couldn't get listed on, you know, iTunes and um, Spotify and all these places easily. And then a crop of startups showed up where you list at one place and it propagates everywhere. So is this going to get solved in some kind of a similar way at all? You know what? That's maybe the best idea for another for a new startup because I'm, <laughs> you know, other other than these solutions that push the data that we've already mentioned, that there's not anything that I'm aware of at the moment that you can upload your data to and then it syndicates it to all of these different vendor master data um, procurement tech platforms. So you know, I guess yeah, like you say, the classic example is like if you publish a podcast, you know, you, your hosting software will will make sure that it syndicates to Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, whatever. There's not anything that I'm aware of right now that does that. Okay, interesting. Well, my guess is that the vendor master, master databases all sell themselves as that. And they, they think of it in terms of first person. So we're the only listing that matters. So just list on us, you know. Yeah. So it's got to be somebody else. Yeah, yeah, especially now. I mean, on 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 procurementsoftware.site, I think we've got twenty four vendor master data platforms in in some form or another. Some of them are not pure play; they just offer that as an add on. But you know, there's certainly about half of them would describe themselves as being essentially single sources of truth for vendor master data. So yeah, I think it as that market proliferates, you know, unless unless it consolidates and there just becomes, you know, three or four that really dominate the market, then it, it could be an issue. It's a bit like, it's a bit like these e-invoicing platforms, isn't it? Going back a few years that there were so many of them on the market that, you know, if you were a sort of small or medium sized business and you were dealing with large corporates that had this e-invoicing software, you'd have to register for about 10 of the bloody things because everyone used a different one. So let's talk a little bit about these about suppliers then. If somebody were to want to go and build that, um, how would the, who are these suppliers? <laughs> who who are suppliers? How do you find them? How do you contact them? Where do they hang out? It depends what they're digitally. Supplying. Where do they hang out? You know, <laughs> so like uh, it depends what you're supplying. I mean, well, yeah, you, for sure. Think think about it. Let's let's think about it in the most simple terms. So if you're a freelance web developer then you probably hang out on somewhere like Upwork or uh, People Per Hour or, you know, if you're lower end, then Fiverr. It's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit like that. You need to understand, okay, well, where, where are your potential customers going to find you? And, and once you know that, then that's where you need to be. And that may even be, you know, offline solutions like, you know, if you're a, if you make packaging machinery, then you know that you're probably going to get some good leads. If you go to the international packaging machinery expo in Dusseldorf, Germany, every two years, um, it really depends on what you're supplying and what your customer acquisition strategy is. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, um, ESG. So like, let's say, you know, uh, environmental concerns or something like that. What's practically happening in this space right now? 
So what's practically happening at the moment is that everyone is banging the drum saying that they're doing something or, or, or that they will do something. But the quality of the data and the sources and the ability to verify and validate that data is still very much in its infancy. So I think there's a lot of posturing and a lot of greenwashing going on and a lot of companies virtue signaling that they're, that they're doing something, whereas in reality, they're probably not really. Or if they are doing something, is it making an impact? Unlikely because the data is still very immature and, um, and, it's, difficult to, and it's difficult to verify. Measuring carbon emissions is somewhat more advanced and somewhat easier because certainly in the EU, they've had carbon trading uh, for a while, but you know some of the other stuff like social and governance. Well, who defines all of this? That's I think that's the danger, and that's the that's the concern that I have with it. I think fundamentally, you know, obviously people want to do good. They want to. I think people generally are more aware and want to make more more informed buying decisions. Certainly, as a consumer, you know, um, of course, I would want to buy local meat from my butcher rather than rather than some industrial farmed garbage that's that, that, that's just propagated by some big multinational corporation how do you go about ensuring that and i think that's what we really don't know about and that's what this is going more into supply chain really rather than procurement but that's what i think the companies that manage these supply chains haven't really got their head around yet um and if they say that they have I would view that very skeptically. Okay. Um, another thing I was curious about is there's kind of, I've heard it described that there's a knowledge imbalance between suppliers and buyers where suppliers know quite a bit more about the supply <laughs> than the buyers. Um, and I was wondering if that power dynamic was shifting at all with, there's a lot of, best of breed quote unquote things that I think are exposing macro data to buyers about what are the conditions of what they're buying? Like how's the supply and demand and pricing and all of that going globally and things like that. Um, is that yeah. power shifting? Yeah. So I think sellers have always had more access to those sort of tools. So, you know, sellers have always had more investment in people, processes, admin support, technology uh, that facilitates that. So now with the price and the, and the breadth of ProcureTech that's available and companies are re realizing that they need to invest more money into understanding what they buy and the cost structure, especially in a very inflationary environment that we're seeing at, at the time that we're recording this, I think the penny has finally dropped that, you know, if you're spending all of your money chasing after the hottest girl in school, which is, you know, sales and revenue. Uh, but you're not, but you're not spending it on, on looking at, you know, where the holes are in your bucket bucket in terms of where that's leaking out with, um, you know, with, with suppliers overcharging you or, um, or, 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 you know, maybe sourcing something at unfavorable conditions that is changing. I think technology is changing that through, through it maturing, through there being more solutions available, um, and just the price of it coming down as well as, you know, the penny dropping in the boardroom that if we're spending 60% of our revenue on goods and services from external vendors, then we kind of need to know how the costs are made up. Um, 
but I think, yes, you're right that historically, you know, yes, salespeople have been better equipped with data than buyers have been. And that, that has hamstrung us in terms of how, we, how we're able to negotiate, especially when the power balance is, is in the seller's favor. If it's something that's more of a bottleneck um, good or service where there's not, you know, a multitude of suppliers that you can buy from and it's not a commoditized market. Winding down to the last couple of questions, uh, in this world, which is so complex in terms of the supply chain craziness that's gone on, um, I've heard of a lot of potential problems for a lot of industries that like where raw materials will become scarce over the long term or where some critical component, like we saw with chips and auto manufacturing, some critical component that people didn't pay much mind to will grind things to a halt. Um, And like a concrete example, I was listening to this whole podcast where someone said there's going to be a global shortage of battery separator film. So like we're making all of these lithium ion batteries, the batteries need separator film, and there's going to be a global shortage and nobody's accounting for it. And all of these huge multinational conglomerates are going to hit a brick wall in terms of wanting to make make what they're going to make because there's going to be a critical component missing. Now, I don't know if any of that is (laughs) true or whatever, or if you even can forecast it out. But how do these companies think about these like longer term risk things? Now, this is a procurement risk. So how do they think about risk, not in like the short term, like but in a longer term, like strategic for their business? And what tools do they have at their disposal to navigate this? Is it just whoever is running the company needs to make strategic choices and they work out or they don't? Or like, is there a more um, controlled way that these companies can assess these types of risk? So I would disagree with you that it's a procurement problem. It's a whole company problem. Um, Because if if the if the company can't make product it can't sell product it doesn't make a profit and that means everyone's not got a job so it's a procurement and it, it's a it's a problem that procurement and supply chain are ultimately responsible to to fix but i would challenge whether it's a procurement problem and i'll tell you why procurement historically has reported to the cfo and cfos are often surprisingly not always the most commercially literate of people in that they're very often just chasing after short-term savings because in the case of publicly traded companies they have to report back to the stock market every uh, every quarter in the US every year in most other countries so their objectives for procurement have traditionally been hard cost savings so procurement were essentially targeted with taking cost out of the business uh, and pretty much nothing else now you know what things like covid and the the um the ever given suez canal uh issue and 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 now you know war in ukraine and disrupted supply chains what it's what it's shown us is that this short-term thinking is no longer sufficient but you know to get beyond that and to get procurement you know procurement yearns not to be just measured on cost savings you know, I, I say that as a procurement professional that was pretty good at finding savings and delivering targets. But I always used to get frustrated that, you know, if I'd if I'd sourced a spare part that lasted twice as long or invested in or, or bought some machinery and equipment that was 10 percent more energy efficient, the plant manager would get recognized for that saving, not me. 
So there has to be a more joined up way of how we measure value within a company to be able to address that type of problem. And I can't speak of that specific example. I don't know the ins and outs of, um, of, that, of that commodity, but you can take the same logic into pretty much any good or service that, you know, marketing is a great example. You know, you can't go, you can't go and source a marketing agency just based on cost because you'll get a pretty useless marketing agency. Um, you know, I'm sure Apple doesn't source their marketing based on a lowest price evaluation criteria. So it's all about recognizing wider value and, and how you do that will never be perfect. You know, there, are all, there will always be someone that can play the system or, or, or play the way that targets are put together. But having a more joined up thinking and having procurement targets set along with where the factory's production targets or with logistics or with sales and marketing's targets, to me, just makes perfect sense because we're not in a silo when we are part of the wider business. So in the, you know, content I've seen out there about procurement, this kind of sentiment is something I've heard echoed a lot that procurement needs to transcend just being about cost savings. The cynical reaction to that would be to take that the current state of affairs still today is that it oftentimes is, if not very, very, very often is reduced to just cost savings to the detriment of the organization as a whole over the long term. Is that cynical take kind of true? Like, unfortunately, even still today, it is usually kind of just about cost savings. I mean, it will it will always be ultimately the it will always be the justification of increasing your headcount in procurement in the you know procurement of the custodians of cost within within the business. And I think that will always be the case, but there is there is a gradual move, especially in more progressive organisations, to understand that procurement can deliver so much more than cost savings, and you know that if you take it to its logical conclusion. If you target a procurement team with saving 5% every year, at some point, your suppliers will no longer make a profit or they'll, or they'll, find, they'll just find their way to hide costs somewhere else that's not being measured. So it has to happen because you know, once, you get, once you get past you know, the basic low-hanging fruit of taking cost out, the real value drivers are things like you know, innovation, supplier collaboration, R&D with with long-term partner suppliers that that can that can really drive your business forward. All right, well, I've taken quite a bit of your time. I really appreciate you guesting here and um and sharing your knowledge with us. Uh any any closing thoughts you'd like to leave us with about ProcureTech as a whole from your kind of birds-eye view? The one thing I would say is you don't need a six-figure budget and an army of consultants anymore to go out and buy procurement software. If you're listening to this, maybe as a as as a as a CIO or maybe as a CFO or CEO of a of a mid-sized manufacturing company for a relatively modest five-figure sum, you can go out and buy procurement tech, and you don't really need anyone to install it. If you've got if you've got a good procurement tech vendor that can you know, walk you through what you need to do, then, you know, if it's SaaS and if, if, if it's cloud-based, you don't need to integrate it with everything, anything, unless you choose to integrate it with your ERP system. And, you know, your IT people should be able to do that internally anyway. So, you know, these things don't need days or weeks of training anymore. Literally, in most cases, if you go with the more user-friendly ones, 
you can use it within a day. All right. Well, if folks want to find out where to start, I think procurementsoftware.site is a fine place to start. So head, <laughs> head on there and check out the software listings, check out the podcast, check out the blog, lots of great content. And we really appreciate you putting all that great knowledge out there for everyone. So no, thank appreciate you so much. it, Kevin. And thank you for the opportunity to, to come on and, and spread the word. It's a rapidly growing marketplace and a huge untapped area of opportunity. So uh, so yeah, if procurement has been the redhead stepchild in your organization, then it's uh, it's definitely somewhere where you can uncover some value pretty quickly. All right. Thank you so much. Procurementsoftware.site. Thanks a lot for joining us, James. Thanks, Kevin.